Welcome back to another episode of the On Bar Time Podcast. Today is April 29th, 2022. Today, my guest is another important person in Garner history. It's none other than the infamous Hal Stewart, longtime Garner AD and head football coach. Uh, Hal was also uh, very instrumental in uh, other uh, careers and even sold cars at some point, right? Yeah, car salesman. There we go. And uh, so... Welcome to the On Bard Time Podcast, Hal Stewart. Thank you. Very good to be here, and uh, it's my pleasure to, to talk to you. Yeah, no problem. So you were born in Norfolk, Virginia in 42? 1942, born in Norfolk, Virginia, and then uh, lived there for three years and moved to, uh, uh, to Durham, North Carolina. And then from Durham, we moved to Goldsboro, and... That's where I was raised in Goldsboro, North Carolina. So you have a you have more stories than Mother Goose, <laughs> one may say. Yeah, uh, you you did. You know, obviously, everyone in Garner knows you for coaching and, and the athletic history. But you know, during our pre-interview, you and I discussed a lot of what happened before you came to Garner, and I thought it was fa- fascinating the different how you moved around as a person, as a coach, as a worker, can't circle back, came back to coaching. I mean, you have a pretty extensive timeline and you've, you've been a lot of places, been pretty fortunate. Been to a lot of places, met a lot of people. And uh, Stephen, when it comes down to it, uh, God has had a, a terrific plan for me. And uh, I'm very blessed. I'm 80 years old as we speak today and it sure is a blessing that I'm still here. Well, I've got, you know, before each podcast, I, I, I take notes and, and I, I do a timeline. So I try to work when you, you know, your early years and kind of work to where we are present day. So born in 1942, uh, you went to St. Mary Catholic School and in first and second grade. No, just the first grade. Just the first grade. Yeah. And that was in Goldsboro? Goldsboro in 1947. Yep. And you... Um, let's not mention who that classmate of yours, because I, I, I'll, I'll bring that in at the right time, but you have a very important classmate who I think people will understand. Um, so what did your parents do? Uh, both of my parents uh, are deceased, but uh, what brought my daddy to Goldsboro, he was a mechanic at the shipyard there in Norfolk. And uh, we came to Goldsboro, and he ended up getting in the heat and air conditioning business with a gentleman by the name of Horace Coward. Uh, he was in that business for a long, long time. And my two brothers, uh, Jimmy and Eddie, uh, they ended up being in the business. But uh, I never did. And not how? No, no, not me. Uh, I can remember crawling into the house wrapping those uh, pipes for fiberglass insulation. And I said, if I ever get out from underneath this house, uh, I'm going to find something else to do. And, and God led me into the coaching profession. That's a, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh so first first grade, St. Mary Catholic, then what happened? Where did you go after that? Okay, I went to elementary school at uh, Edgewood uh, uh, Elementary School. And then I went from there, went to uh, the middle school at William Street. William Street, uh, I think they call it junior high or either middle school. And I was there in the seventh and eighth grade. So elementary school, grades two through six. And then I went to William Street for grades seven and eight. What sports did you play when you were young? I played all three sports. Played uh, football, basketball, and baseball, and 
play tennis some, and uh, the sport I really liked was ping pong. And uh, we uh, played that, and, and uh, I just, uh, I was a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> what, was, what, was, what did you enjoy about ping pong? Uh, ping pong, uh, I started playing that when I was like 10 years old at the boys club. They had ping pong tables there. And, uh, in fact, the boys club was at what we called the uh, community, uh, community school building there in downtown Colesboro. And uh, I played that. Uh, it's still nowadays I still mess with it. But I've, I started playing when I was 10 years old, and uh, I still try and mess around with it a little bit. Keeps your reflexes good, though, doesn't it? Oh yeah, very sure does. It's uh, uh, it's, it's 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 a great sport. It, and when you're playing, as you're definitely one on one with somebody. Of course, we got to where we would play doubles at times. But uh, but basically, it's just me versus you. And uh, you played the twenty one. Whoever gets the twenty one and wins by two, uh, yeah, you win the game. Remind me when we get off air to tell you a funny story about ping pong. Um, and a teacher at Garter High. Um, that, that's that's an all air conversation, but. It's pretty funny about ping pong. Uh, anyway, so um, so yeah, so you enjoy playing ping pong. You played, uh, and I think let me back up a little bit. When I asked you what your favorite sport was, it kind of surprised me. Which favorite sport? Basketball still is. Yes, still is on all levels. Or do you like professional colleges, or do you like it all? All levels. Uh, last night uh, I stayed up to what twelve thirty watching the uh, the Lakers and the Grizzlies play. Wow. And, and before that, uh, Boston uh, beat uh, the Atlanta Hawks. So I watched two basketball games last night. I guess now you can watch whatever you want, whenever you want to watch it, too, right? I mean, when when I when I, I'm dating myself, I'm I'm born in 1980, but you know now with the joys of television, you don't you don't have to go anywhere to watch a game. You can sit right on your couch and watch it, right? Right, now, and that has really spoiled me. Uh, I've been to two baseball games this year. I went to one. At East Carolina, they played Long Beach State, <clears throat> and I went to one when I was down at Myrtle Beach where we have a trailer down there at Myrtle Beach Travel Park. I went to see Coastal Carolina play Georgia Southern. That's a pretty field. Oh, it was fantastic. I could not – I used to – I did a lot of college umpiring back in my younger days. Oh, really? And uh, But I umpired at the old facility they had at Coastal, and that's uh, two weeks ago from yesterday that I saw them play – and I could not believe that facility. It's got to be one of the finest college facilities in the country. Yeah, I'm not going to – I just had a uh, conversation with somebody else about umpiring, and I, I told them that I, I'm retiring from umpiring. It's uh, it's pretty intense. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. And think about baseball umpiring. You can go along. You might go along for two weeks, and you're more or less on cruise control. Then you get in the game where you've got a lot of plays happening at every base, and it can nearly get crazy. But in, in baseball, umpiring, you've got to make a call. You can't pass it on to the next guy. You've got to call out, safe, ball, or strike. You're a pretty good baseball player. Yeah, I was, I was pretty good. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship. In fact, it was basketball and baseball. I went to Frederick College, which is located in Portsmouth, Virginia, which is now a community junior college. And so you, you play baseball there. You play all four years. What position did you play? I played shortstop and second base. Nice. And what was your degree in there? Physical edu- major in physical education with a minor in history. Wow. Yeah, that that is a big wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, uh, usually that's. I mean, it's two separate degrees. But I mean, I guess you know, you used the physical. You used both. Did you ever teach history? 
Sure did. Taught it for two years at Jacksonville Senior High School in 1968 and 69. And in uh, football, I found out something very interesting. You, you also played f- football, right? Yes, I did. And and you have a very uh, – amongst your claim to fames, you threw the first touchdown pass in Dern County Stadium to – Oh, no, the first touchdown pass was thrown to me oh. from David Odom to, to me. David Odom, yeah. former Wake Forest basketball coach. Yeah, that was in 1959. We played the last. It was the first game played in that stadium, and it was, you know, the, the construction got held up. So it was the last football game of the year, and we played them in that stadium. And like I said, I scored the first touchdown. He threw the first touchdown pass, and the final score of the game. Uh, I reckon this poetic justice for both teams was 12 to 12. That's pretty funny. Um, and you guys were friends. Uh, again, I'll, I'll go back. That's you, You've known Dave Odom since first grade? First grade, 1947. And uh, I've had two conversations with him on the phone this morning already. We, yeah. talk, we talk about it every day. He lives in Winston-Salem now. He's got a pretty good gig. Oh, yes, he does. He uh, He's in charge of the Maui basketball tournament and – his job is to line up the eight teams that come there every year, and uh, he's uh, he's done very well with that. So he gets to make a trip or two to Hawaii. Oh yeah, and plus all expenses paid. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a positive. Yeah. I mean, you get paid, you don't have to spend any money, you get to do what you love. Man, where's my guidance counselor? <laughs> <laughs> right. When I'm, when you know when I was in when I was at Garner, they were like, mm, you can be a doctor, a lawyer. You know, dentist. But now it's like, mm, there's so many more things you can do. Yeah. Well, I've always had this saying: good things happen to good people. You do good things, good things happen to you. You do bad things, bad things happen to you. Uh, but David Odom is a good example. He's done good things, and uh, good things have happened to him. In fact, his youngest son, Ryan, has just got named the head basketball coach at Virginia Commonwealth. University in Richmond, Virginia. VCU. VCU. He was at Utah State for the last two years, and now he's going to be at VCU. We'll get into this in a little bit, but um, that college money is getting a little crazy. Oh, yes, it is. Very, very crazy. We'll go ahead and jump on it because I think, I think this is a good topic. What is your opinion about paying college basketball players NIL money? Well, this might surprise you. I, I think it's a good thing. Uh, because of the money that these players are making for the institution. At one time, uh, you know, you look at the TV money, which is astronomical, and guess what? Your employees, you didn't have to pay them anything. Right. And uh, you think about the number of businesses in the United States we have, what if you didn't have to pay your employees? So the schools didn't have to pay the players, what, $15 a month it was at one time. And now they're some way of some shape, form, or fashion, uh, they're getting paid. And I personally think it's good. A lot of people don't, but Hal Stewart does. Well, that's good. Um, you know, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I right. mean, how long – I mean – you know, there was always the the handshakes and the things that were going on in the in the back rooms that everybody wants to say happened. I mean, and I'm sure it did. Um, but for, it seems like it was an age-old conversation. Well, the universities and the conferences are making all this money. And there, then there was the argument, well, the kids are getting an education. And, you know, but at some point, 
like they're making a lot of money for those schools and and who's keeping it it's the schools and the conferences and the tuition keeps going up so it's like wait a minute if they're making all this money for the schools maybe shouldn't tuition come down a little bit uh, no it keeps going up just like the price of eggs and milk yep so that's that's insane um i'm, I'm not sure how to get back to this point but did you play what high school was it you went to? I went to Goldsboro High School, graduated from there in 1961. And did, was it at that we had, you told me that you, you played for a basketball team and y'all went 1-18-1? No, it's the football team. This, this is a true story. You know, I've always had the statement, it's meant to be. My junior and senior year, we went 1-18-1. In Goldsboro? At Goldsboro High And who was the team you beat? Would you believe Garner High School? Isn't that something? <laughs> and the team we tied, which I mentioned before, we played Durham the next week. Then, then my, that was my junior year, and that was David's senior year. And then uh, we, uh, my senior year, which he graduated the year before me. And the reason he graduated, so we started school together. But when I got to the eighth grade, my daddy held me back a year. Yep. So thank God he did. I don't know where I'd be today if that hadn't happened. Yeah, but it, my senior year, which is 1960, was 61. Uh, we played, and we had a perfect record, 0-10. Y'all played 20 games that year, though. 118 and 1? No, no. This was for our two-year period. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, right. gotcha. 59 and 60. Gotcha. Two, and two year, I had played varsity football for two years, and we were 1-18 and 1. 1-18-1. That's impressive. And the one team, albeit, was Garner. It was Garner. And you had no idea at one point you would end up in Garner. But but you know who did? God. God. God said, sure I'm going to bring him back there one day. So your first head uh, coaching job uh, or first teaching job was at Greenwood Junior High School. Greenwood Junior High School, which was in Goldsboro. And what were you coaching there? I coached all three sports. I coached football, basketball, and baseball. And uh, I will tell you about that uh, I told you before, basketball is my favorite sport. So I coached football, and uh, I went over with Coach Wizardunt, was the coach at Goldsboro High School, and they ran the single wing there, which they put in my senior year. And the coach of them was Gene Callsby. But by, by the time I graduated, Coach Wizardunt said, hey, Coach, so I borrowed his playbook. So we ran the single wing, and we had a perfect season. We went 8-0. Your first season as a coach, 8-0. 8-0 in football. And then my favorite sports coming up, which is basketball. So we have 7-8-9, and we had a 7th and 8th grade team and a ninth grade team, and we had another perfect season, 0-28. Oh, 0-28. And oh, and yes. So the opposite side of the spectrum. The opposite side of the spectrum, yep. Hey, you got to learn how to lose. Yeah, and, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason, and uh, that is what we did. Then we went to baseball season, and uh, we lost what, went 14 and 1 in baseball. And then from there, I went to Jacksonville Senior High School. That's where I coached history. And I was assistant coach in football, JV basketball coach, and the head baseball coach for two years. And you were there from 68 to 69, kind of ish, right? Right, yeah. So then comes, um, then you get the opportunity to kind of go to, you know, the, a different part where there's Hamlet, Rockingham, LRB, and one other. Rohannon. Rohannon. Okay. So I went to uh, Hamlet, uh, George Whitfield, who and I, he and I coached the Legion team in 1963 and 64 in Goldsboro. Well, he later on, his first head coaching job was at Goldsboro Junior High School. He and I became friends. And then he got the head baseball job at Hamlet. And uh, I called him and told him I was leaving Jacksonville. And he said, well, come on down. Uh, he said, we got an opening 
uh, here in Hamlet. They said, I'll, I'll talk to the principal, Carson Oldman. We'll see if we can get you get you a job here, which he did. And so my first year at, at Hamlet, I was assistant coach in football, uh, head JV basketball coach, and assistant coach in baseball. So the whole – I'm going to move through a lot of things really fast because uh-huh. I want to make sure we catch it all. Okay. But you moved around a lot in that Richmond County kind of um, school, right? There was a merger at some point, right? Right. See, in 70 and 71, okay, my second year I'm at Hamlet, and this sporting goods salesman by the name of Carl Muller came through. He said, look, there's a basketball, the basketball coach at Havelock High School is, is resigning. In fact, his name is Steve Holloman, who is uh, a graduate of Curry High School. He said, uh, they're looking at basketball coach. Would you be interested? I said, no, not really. He said, look, the principal there is a great guy. You all go down and talk to him. So I did. And so I ended up, I went to Havelock. And, uh, well, what a start we had. We, we couldn't practice much during the holidays. But so we finally got the team together on a Monday. We play on a Tuesday, and we score 129 points. I remember they carried me off the, sh- off the shoulders when the game was over. The place was going crazy. And guess what happened the rest of the year? Another perfect season. Didn't win another game. That's interesting. Yeah, and then I coached golf. I coached golf in the spring, and we won a tournament called the Quantico Invitational, and then we came over we fourth in the state. And that's where I learned how to play golf because the golfers taught me how to play golf. My job was to simply drive them to the golf matches. You still play golf today? Uh, I'm not playing today because of my physical ailments. I haven't played in, in quite a while. Well, the good news is you can watch it on TV and still enjoy it. You sure can. It's not the same, but, you know. Yeah, I enjoy watching it on TV, especially the, you know, the, the big-time tournaments. Yeah, they come to play. There's a lot of money in golf too. So, um, you won a, you did win a state title at Richmond County, right? Okay, now we'll go back. I'm at Havelock, and I get a phone call about the middle of June from the school board chairman. His name was Jack Land. He said, "How we are going to create an opening for you at Hamlet High School? It's going to be a shop class. So we need you to come back to Hamlet." I said, well, look, I'm very happy in the Havelock. I really don't have any interest in leaving. He said, look, please just come talk to us. He said, because we're getting ready to consolidate the four high schools, Rohan and Hamlet, Rockingham and Ellaville, are going to come together. And all the coaches that go to Richmond Senior High School are going to come from within the system. So, so we, we've got to have you back here. So I went down there and talked to him and. I came back, I taught at Hamlet for one year, and then when Richmond Senior opened in 1972, I went there and I was assistant coach in football and assistant coach in baseball. I was under Ron Crawl in football and George Whitfield in baseball. And you all won a title at Richmond County, correct? Yes. Uh, well, because I left uh, – after three years at Richmond, I went to Durham High, where my good friend David Odom was the athletic director and basketball, right. basketball coach. And so my first head football job was at Durham Senior High School in 75, 76. So then I get a call from uh, uh, Jack Land again, school board guy. Ron Crawl had resigned and went to High Point Central. He said, we're looking for a football coach. 
He said, look, we've had a lot of people to apply here. I mean, they had some big-name guys. I said, once again, same story. I'm not interested. I said, God. And with the guys that you mentioned, I remember one was Alan Brown from Thomasville, Gary Whitman from somewhere. I think he was at Pine Forest. I mean, that, you know, I've just been a head coach for two years. I said, you, 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 Oh, you'd only been a head coach for two years at, at that point? At Durham High, yeah, oh, yeah. in football. And uh, – so I went down and I talked to him, and so I ended up going to uh, going to Richmond Senior High School. That was uh, seventy seven, my first year. But we went eight and four, and then the second year, if after the first three games, we were one and two, and then we won twelve in a row and won the state championship in nineteen seventy eight. I'm willing to bet that half the people in Garner don't know that you were a coach at Richmond, just because. I mean, if you go back to what even late. Or early 90s, there was a span where I think that Garner lost to Richmond County or played Richmond County every single year. Yeah, we, we in 87, we played them in the third round the year we won the state championship. And then we, we played them two more years after that. That was during the Mike Thomas era. And and they, they they beat us both years. And then a lot of people remember this in 98 when we we played Richmond Senior High School. That's me. Yeah, there you go. You graduated then. And uh, we played them at uh, Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill. And they, they whooped us pretty good that day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I specifically remember, and we'll get into the whole Trojan Stadium stuff in a little bit, but um, um, just – packing that house out for those Richmond County games that are were at home. And, I mean, I, you could feel the ground shake. We had the whole field. When I say the field, I'm talking about, like, from the field house hill, the stands, to underneath the scoreboard, slam-packed field. And it was, like, standing room only. People getting there, what, tailgating all day to get there. Yeah. And literally, the ground would shake. Yeah, it's unbelievable because we we played them two straight years, and uh, the stadium was full at by six thirty. And that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, right. th- those, those are probably my most memorable and games was that, and I think watching Durham Hillside Band. You're probably in the locker room when we were all watching the Durham Hillside Band, but they were like one of the first bands who used to come up and you know dance at halftime. Everybody's like, "Wow, yeah, we got to go to that game." Watch yeah, Durham we- Hillside and Northern Durham, one of them. Yeah, that was it. Was Durham Hillside? We played them in 1988, and uh, they had a guy by the name of Rodney Rogers. Oh yeah, you know, played basketball at Wake Forest. Did he, he play football f- too? Football player too. In fact, he hit Levi Beckwith, and uh, Levi got a concussion. Levi was our quarterback the senior year, and uh, the next week we played Millbrook, and Levi couldn't play, and uh, we lost out in the second round that year. That and year. who coached Rodney Rogers in basketball? Okay, I had a guy by the name of David Odom. <laughs> he, he's coached one or two of those, hasn't he? He sure has. Circle of life, man. So, um, anyway, so let's kind of fast forward a little bit. Um, I don't want to get too fast, again, because there, there's a lot of good stories that I don't want to want to miss out. So, you're at Richmond County in 78, and then um, something else happened. And you was this the point where you, you, you stopped? Uh, coaching and teaching for a while, went to sell cars? Sold cars. We went to a guy by the name of Tommy West, West Toyota. And, uh, it, it was, you know, and I could, uh, I could, I could understand. Uh, see, when I went there, 
uh, I mean, the athletic director was in charge of more or less of hiring the coach, and uh, he, he didn't want me, which I don't blame him. I mean, I just at Richmond County, yeah, at Richmond County. Okay, I, mean, I just had two years experience, and he had all these big name guys coming in, but the, the superintendent and the school board chairman more or less overruled him, and so uh, so he didn't I, want you there. No, no, well, that's like you had some big name. Uh, who who was Hal Stewart? You know, right. and uh, and when I was there, I before I was you know assistant coach, and you could uh, feel that you could probably feel that he didn't want you there oh yeah i don't, I don't blame him he had guys but oh, that was more qualified than i was so i don't blame him and so after we won the state championship in 78 for whatever reason i won't get into uh i got out of coaching for a year and so so toyotas for one year and then you said two players came to pay a visit one day. Yeah, Moo Lilly and Andrew Stanback. And about the middle of the season, they came to me and uh, they talked to me. and said, Coach, you know, said, you need to get back in coaching. Said, uh, said, players like us really miss you. And, man, that really that really got to me. And uh, I said, well, if I get another chance to get back into coaching, uh, I'm going to certainly do it. So fast forward a little bit, 1980, a man by the name of Paul Fox comes to you. Right. And, uh, and he, he says, uh, hey, come to Garner. Right, so in 1980, that was my first trip to Garner, and uh, Delma Blunson was the principal, Berkeley Wagstaff was the athletic director, and Paul had just been baseball coach for, I think that was his second year. So I came down, I talked to him, and, uh, you know, I leave town, and uh, I said, well, you know, verbally, I've got the job. That's right, they ought to give you a verbal agreement, and you think, yep, I'm, I think I'm coming to Garner in 1980. And I get home, and there's a message on my, on, on my recorder from a gentleman by the name of Terry Greer, who was the principal at St. Paul's High School. So I called him back, and uh, he had coached at Rayford back in 1978. And so we, we, we talked a little bit, and he said, well, do you know where St. Paul's is? Well, the only St. Paul's I've ever heard of is Minnesota. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, Minnesota, but I know you're not there. He said, no. I said, we are, we're located halfway between uh, Lumberton and Fevel. He said, in fact, the, the marking there at St. Paul's, what it's really famous for, is a big sign with ABC on it. I said, yeah, I know where you're talking about. And so the next day I went and talked to him, he had a superintendent by the name of Don Kennedy. And uh, so I, I get back home and I called Brinkley. And I, called, I told him at St. Paul's, I said, look, I gave him my word I was going to Garner. And at, at St. Paul's, they were going to put me on a 12-month contract, which you normally you just on a 10-month contract, but they had a new vocational program they were bringing in, which is one of my certifications. And uh, so I said that to Brinkley, and Brinkley said, you better take it. He said, we got a call from downtown. We're not going to be able to hire you. And I said, well, okay. And so I went Oh, to, so they were reneging on their end, too. Yeah, you know. We won't get in, but uh, that's what happened. But hey, that's God's plan. That's right. So I spent three wonderful years in St. Paul's, and uh, I came to Garner in 1983. And uh, in 1980 is the first year I met Eddie Gray. And then when I go to St. Paul's, I called my friend David Odom, who's in East Carolina. I said, look, I need to hire an offensive line coach. And yep. uh, next day he calls me back. He said, I got a name for you. You're not going to believe where he's from. So his name is Nelson Smith. He graduated from Southern Wayne High School, which is, you know, a school there in Wayne County. And he came down and, to make a long story short, uh, ended up hiring him uh, at St. Paul's. So within a two-week period of time, I met Eddie Gray and Nelson Smith, who I'd never known before. But if I'd been hired at, Saint, at, at, at Garner in 1980, then Nelson Smith would not uh, have the friendship that we have today. And I just talked to him a while ago. He's on the golf course playing golf this morning. Yeah. Um, 
you know, you talk a lot about surrounding yourself with with positive people. Yeah, surround yourself with good people, and uh, you can be a success unless unless you as the head man mess it up. But you've got to be surrounded. You got to surround yourself with good good people, good loyal people, and it certainly doesn't help to have have good players, especially when you got players like like Anthony Barber, who, who's a, who's just a legend in in, in Garner. And really, the whole state of North Carolina, a lot of people that will tell you that Anthony Barber is the best high school running back that's ever been in North Carolina, and in my opinion, of course, I agree with him. I think what made Anthony special was the time it took for him to get the handoff to get to the line. Like his first step, first three steps was with the ball, full speed, and, and how to how to read a hole. Yeah. Um, I was only seven years old then, <laughs> but you know, I I didn't go to that game. How many people traveled to that, traveled to that game? Oh yeah, we had. They say ten thousand, but it might have been more like fifteen thousand. We had between ten and fifteen thousand in Charlotte when we beat Charlotte Harden that night. Yeah, we beat them forty to twenty-one. But that was one of the best defensive games that our team played all year because basically uh, we held them to one touchdown, and with the six minutes to go in the game, the score was forty to seven, and we we made mass substitutions. That's a game, but you know, state championship game special, and we were able to get everybody into the game. In fact, we looked at that one time. I remember I can hear Eddie Gray. Oh, wait, we gotta have two more players. We didn't have a nine on defense, but it it was a, just a great, great night for for the for, for the for the whole town of Garner and the Garner community. Yeah, I think one of the things that you are known for and even mentioned in your video promo for the North Carolina Hall of Fame Athletic Association deal was um, you were known for playing the best players. Um, but it's important also for everyone to get in and get that experience because not everyone can play every down. Um I only played two years of Pop Warner football, and I think there was a requirement where you had to, you know, play five, ten plays a game. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there like, come on, I hadn't even been in. It's Pop Warner. Yeah. So, um, but, I mean, we were practicing every day for, you know, 30 or 45 minutes. But, I mean, you, your team, you, I know this because when I was playing soccer, you guys practiced from right after school. You're talking, what, two and a half hour practices? Two, two and a half, yeah. And in in the heat and pads, and so Paul Smith, forgive me, but it's a little bit different with pads on when it's hot outside when it's the middle of August. Then you know, so that to hear you say that you know you you wanted everybody to get in that game because it's a special moment, right? It's kind of like the Tar Heels always do the you know, senior night or, pace, you know, senior start. It's important, right? Oh, it certainly is. Just like in 87, there were six games that year that Anthony did not even play in the second half. I did not know that. Yes, six games. He did not play in the second half. And he still had 47 touchdowns, 3,100-yard scrimmage that year. Yeah, and see, and the thing is, and everybody understood it, he could have been in one of those games in the second half if he gets hurt, look, if he gets hurt, we don't win no state championship, and everybody knows that because you come along and you get a, a special person who's a special player, and that's what Anthony was. Well, you're known for your – another thing you're known for is your preparation. What did you do that night to – did you do anything different to prepare your team for that Charlotte Harding team that was, you know, uh, bigger, right? They're big, bigger. Oh, they're bigger, they're bigger, stronger, faster. That's that's what they said. I, I remember, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to beat Northern Durham, and uh, 
So we getting ready to uh, that Saturday. Uh, that was get, a close game. Yeah, twenty to seventeen. That's Robert Hinton had a big play in that game. Uh, no, that was, was the Robert, week before. Week before we got, against Richmond Senior, he scored two touchdowns. Oh, thank you for correcting me. Right, but in in the uh, Northern Durham game, Pete Smith scored a touchdown on a touchdown pass. Anthony made a touchdown run, and Chris Dorman made a touchdown run. So we won 20-17, to 17, and that's when we made the goal line stand at the end of the game. And John Dykes, who I talked to this morning on the phone, uh, made the tackle on the fourth and one play. Nice. But we'll go back to here. here I'll get, you know, it's just when you when I start talking, it's just like in my coaching career, I bounce around. But going back to the hard and the preparation for the game that week, and uh, Coach Tom Knotts, who graduated from Duke, here I am. I graduated from little old Frederick College. Uh, but we have to meet that that Saturday, and we met in in, uh, in Ashburn. And uh, we loaded up in Billy Stewart's van. It was about seven, eight of us, and made the film exchange. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of misplaced. We're supposed to exchange the last two games, so he's supposed to get the Richmond County-Durham game. Well, for some way or some reason, or another, he got the Pinecrest game. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, which we won 26 today, which we didn't play real good that game. So, uh, yeah, that's, we, that was the exchange we made, and then we talked a little bit. And uh, Were you required to do that, or is that just like, were you oh, required yeah. to change, oh, yeah. change film? Oh, yeah. Even that, in high school back then, I did not know that you were required to watch oh, exchange yeah. game film. Yeah, the rule was that you exchange two films. So I, I gave him the Pinecrest game and the uh, Durham High game, and I forget who they played, but we exchanged two two, two films. Would have been nice just to send them an email with it these days. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it'll send a tape, whatever you know. But uh, no, and then we uh, we get you know we get ready to uh, get ready to play, and uh, cause no one gave us a chance but us. Right. I'm talking about – I'm talking, not only talking about the players, but, you know, I've used the term, you know, a bunch of rednecks and a bunch of dogs. But, uh, you know, with the crowds we had behind us at Richmond County and at uh, Northern Durham, I said, look, I told them privately with no cameras around, there ain't no way that they're going to beat us. It's meant to be for us to win this game. And uh, so that started it off at the beginning of the week. And uh, you know the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody knows the rest of the story, and everybody, you know, I hope everybody has seen the the, the video. Um, you're a motivator, right? Uh, play to your audience. You've coached a lot of different people um, over the years, and I'm sure the way you coached athletes and maybe in the 70s probably wasn't the way you would coach someone in the 90s, right? Right. Um, and so as things change, uh, coaches have to change their style. Uh, tell us a little bit about your coaching style when you were young house door towards the end of your career. Well, you know, people, I'm, I'm, I was known as a disciplinarian and a motivator, but, uh, I, you know, different stroke for different folks. Uh, like you mentioned about players, I mean, to me, the last guy on the team, a guy who didn't play a lot, was just, I tried to make him feel as important as I would an Anthony Barber. And uh, I noticed that these reunions that we have, the people who show up, for it, the kids who didn't play a lot, they appreciate it just as much as Anthony does because I don't care who you're on. Everybody knows, okay, you can't win with Anthony Barber. But I look at a per, uh, Percy Whitlock, who I just talked to yesterday on the phone, who held a dummy in practice. 
you know, on on on, on the practice team that uh, if we'd go against uh, a Jason Woodard who runs a uh, uh, Woodard Printing Company now, people like that were as important as the ones who started. And uh, I tried to make sure everyone felt like they were a big part of the team, which think, they were. Yeah, and I think the sustains sustained success of Garner football. I mean, it just went forever. It was a, I mean, the run, not only, only that you started or, you know, was it Bradshaw you took over for? Who was it? Who, who did you take over for in Garner? A guy by the name of Charles Bradshaw. Charles Bradshaw. Yep. Um, so you took over and, and then after you came along, Nelson, right? Right. And, and, and then Leach took over. Thur- Thurman Leach. And then, I mean, even Leach had early success. Um, you know, but you all, I mean, it was, Garner was just the powerhouse in the state. Yes, yes. You know, you, when you talked about football in the East and in the four-way ranks, you talked about Garner, Northern Durham, and Richmond County. And we had a run there where we, I'm like the, like the one of those years you were talking about, we played uh, uh, Richmond County and Garner back-to-back, you know, in, in 87, back-to-back, on the road at their place, you know. But it was just one of those things that was meant to be. And then we talk about the the early 90s. When the, the Friday the place nights. Would, the yeah. place would be rocking, you know, the, the crowds that were coming in, not just from Richmond County and all in Durham, but other teams would bring – because, hey, they would get super psyched up. Hey, we want to beat Garner. We want to knock them off. You know, a lot of people don't know this. We went four straight seasons, regular seasons, and didn't lose a game. That's right. I've got guys telling me and asking, you know, Coach, I never practice on the Monday when we – we had a loss, so that's uh, that's something to really be proud of. How many different conference alignments did you go through? Gee, boy, I don't know. Uh, a lot. That's all. Concat nine, try know. six, try seven, try eight. Da 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 da. Like. Yeah, right, you name them. They had different names, and it, it's we went through quite a few. Who was the local team? I know who it was. That I didn't like watch you play. It was Millbrook, but yeah. who was the local team that you? Always wanted to beat. Oh, Millbrook. We we, <laughs> we, we had a big rivalry there yep, with yep. Millbrook. And, in fact, in 87, this is, it's, it's really a shame. That year, Millbrook lost one game. We beat them 38 to 38. We beat them by eight points, 38-30 maybe. It was a score. But they had one loss that year. Yep. And their season ended. They didn't get a chance to go to the playoffs. And, of course, if we'd lost, there would not have been, as I refer to, the Big Apple we won that year. But uh, we were fortunate enough to go 10-0 and in the regular season and then win five playoff games. Yeah, the first three games, you all outscored the opponents 121 to nothing. Really? I, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the Internet. Yeah. Um, and Eddie Gray was the defensive coach. Yeah, Eddie Gray was the defensive coordinator uh, when I came here in 1983. Of course, I go back to 1980. That's when I first met him. But uh, uh, I remember Cheryl Johnson and Paul Falk and uh, uh, and Shirley Page recommended him to me. And uh, I remember the first trip we took together in 1983. We went to Islewood Village and met with a bunch of boys over there in, in a house, and uh, I gave them a talk. And uh, but that's uh, I can remember it like it's yesterday. Eddie Gray and I going to Islewood Village to to uh, uh, recruit the players to play. We you know, talk to them about playing. Yeah, I never played under Eddie, um, but he, I did. I, I was at Garner. He, he he did teach a psychology class. 
Um, and I talked from Eddie and you and I talked about this on the podcast, but, um, and hopefully one day I'll get Eddie on here. Um, I, it, it shouldn't be too hard, but one of the things Eddie's very blunt, very, you know, he's very excited about his job. Yes. Um, tells it how it is. It's good that he's teaching Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> and plus a deacon in the church. And a deacon in the church. Yep. So Eddie, if you're listening out there, look out for that phone call. I know how to find you. Um, but one of the funny things he always said was, if you don't like it, drop out. <laughs> that, that was the Eddie Gray line. Yep. yep. I don't know if you could get away with that in 2023. Maybe. But it's true. Um, and, and again, I, I hope I'm, I'm very hopeful that I can get him on here because he's got a good story. He got him a, he got him a championship. He does. It's a 2015 won the 4A uh, basketball championship. But, you know, the special thing about Eddie, born and raised in Garner, and now he's got, I think this is his 41st year of teaching. And I have said this before, and I'll say it right here live and in color, of all the coaches I've ever coached with, the best teacher slash coach I've ever worked with is Eddie Gray because he does a tremendous job in the classroom. In fact, this past Monday, I spent about 28 to 30 minutes in his classroom just listening to him to see if he still had the special gift for relating and communicating with people. And guess what? He still does. That's awesome. I think one of the uh, – I asked you, I said, was this your quote? And you say, yeah, it's mine. Uh, if you're a teacher – you, uh, let me know, let me see if I can't butcher this. Right. If you're a teacher, you're a coach. If you're a coach, you're a teacher. That's exactly right. They go hand in hand. You teach, you coach, you coach, you teach. Yep, and you're a teacher and you're a leader of men. So thank you to both you and Eddie and Nelson and all the Garner staff that did that. So let's turn it now to uh, House Stewart, the athletic director. Um, so what year did you take over as athletic director? I think in, uh, let me see, after two years, I, I think in 86, after two years, I became uh, the athletic director and, uh, you know, from course, football coach. And I don't, I, I did it until the one I left in, in, in 99, 2000. I did, did both jobs. But once again, you're going back to having good help. And this one person, uh, Jane House, was the unofficial uh, assistant athletic director, and she did a tremendous job uh, helping uh, our athletic program, doing a lot of things that really, if you're coaching and, and you're athletic director, I mean, once again, you surround yourself with good people. But she did a lot of things that uh, I just, uh, uh, she did a lot of things better than I could do them, and she did a tremendous job. And you had a lot of, I mean, you oversaw a lot of different coaches at, Garner. I mean, you had to oversee basketball. You had to oversee soccer. You had to oversee everything that encompassed athletics, right? Right. Yeah, and it, it, it covered a lot of a lot of sports and a lot of different coaches. In fact, there's one story you and know, I talked about, and I want to go ahead and tell it so uh, they'll know the real truth, and, and the people out there le- looking and listening will know. But it's like one day uh, the soccer team was getting ready to come out there on the field, and I told Coach Smith, I said, "Look, there's no way that you, y'all can go out there." Blah 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 blah, and then went back in. And Nelson and Eddie's talking to me. I said, "Look, you know, y'all only pretty hard." 
sorry about that. So the next day I called Coach Smith and I apologized to him, but I told him the reason I did it. I said, we've got two people by the name of Linwood Carter and Jerry Carter. They work on the field. They take more pride in the Garner Trojan Stadium than all the rest of us put together. I said, now, if you think you got on, if I got on you bad, if I'd let you on that field and you'd have messed it up, uh, I'd have been dog cussed by Linwood Carter. Well, you know what? That's okay. And, I, and, and I'm sure – Coach Smith took that in stride. I mean, I think we all just looked at each other because we we're just the players, and he was—he just was like, "All right, we we, we packed up, and we we went over to the track, yeah. and um, we played our game over there, ho hum." And and but you know, uh, we were what sixteen, seventeen then, and and I just thought that that was funny. But um, yeah, so that that was a pretty awesome field. I mean, there's there's it, the the ground there is sacred ground. Um, but what I want to do now is, is pivot for because again, we always, we, we know about the Friday nights at Trojan stadium. Now it's a little different because the split, right? I mean, so you've got two different Garner schools now, right? We have South Garner, uh, not to mention, uh, Southeast Raleigh, uh, Middle Creek, uh, got Willow Springs right here on, the, on Highway right. 42. Right. And there's a school in Johnson County. I talked to Sam Pinnacle last night, Scott Pinnacle, who played for us in the early 90s. Yep. That's where his son, his son's a freshman. He's a catcher on, on the Cleveland High School team. But He played we, baseball too, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Brandon Perry, who coached with us for a long time, his son goes to West Johnson. So it's been a lot of people who have moved across the line. And uh, if so it's, it's just – but it's that way. It's not just here. It's everywhere. Right. You know, instead of going up, we're spreading out with our school. Yeah, and I think that that has hurt what was ultimately. I mean, I think Garner did. I'm not going to use the recruiting word here, but we drew from our line. Our, our lines extended further, right? Um, I'm surprised. I think where we are now in Southern Wake County, off of 50 Highway, I'm pretty sure that we would go to one of the Garner schools, but I don't know that for a fact. But again, you're where we drew from back in the in my time, the mid, you know, uh, late eighties, early nineties, early two thousands. That's all changed. That's all. It's all changed completely. In fact, the last reunion we had at Captain Stanley's Rush, uh, Pete Smith, Anthony Smith, uh, Anthony Barber, and Don Smith, who's deputy sheriff now with the sheriff's department, uh, we talked about that. I said, "Now we're of the three of you." Which Pete, where would you go to school? He'd be at Southeast Raleigh. Don Smith said he would be at, uh, at South Garner, and the only one who'd been at Garner High School would have been Anthony. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. So, so that, that's no doubt. But not only has it hurt, it's just hurt not only Garner High School, but it's, it's hurt so many schools. And that's one reason the, the quality of football that I'm, I'm not sure that it's as good as it used to be, but it's because it's thinned out, it's spread out. What do you think about the current pipeline of talent? And what I mean by that is. There are a lot more distractions now. People have other things to do other than sport. Kids, you know, there's the age of the internet. Um, kids aren't as motivated. I mean, there's kids are either more motivated now to play sports and go to sports camps and have, you know, you know, hundred dollar an hour 
coaches that will train them to hit a ball or play football or on the opposite side of that spectrum. You've, you've got kids that just want to sit home and play on the internet, right? And they want nothing to do with sports. Yep. Yep. So what, you know, how has, how has that changed sports? You know, kid, I mean, it's a different type of, it's different now than it was, right? All right. Well, like uh, back in the day, it was nothing unusual for a, a, a young man to play three sports. Right. Uh, first name off the top of my head, Pat Watkins, who ended up signing. It was the number one draft choice for the Cincinnati Reds, played in the major leagues for three years. But he played football, basketball, baseball. With and the ECU. And there's numerous more right. who, who did that. Yep. But now we people have become what you call specialists, uh, especially in baseball. Baseball, they're playing eight months of the year. Good gosh, God Almighty! You're gonna get it's only that you get tired of it. So you see a lot of kids when they're seniors in high school that can't wait to graduate and for it to be over with, you know, because they've been playing since they were ten, eleven years old, right. eight months of the year playing baseball. Yep. Then you got basketball year round. That's one thing about football you you can't do it year round. They have a lot of seven on seven camps, but uh, and of course you've got a, a lot of weight training and physical conditioning going on. But but the two sports I see that have really become specialized are basketball and baseball. And another one now for girls is, is volleyball. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah, my my daughter plays softball, and they, I mean, there's a travel softball team she's she's nine um but you know why did why do we need to have travel softball at eight years old <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be plenty of time and they're still learning the fundamentals of the game and it's a lot on the parents and it's and some kids can't compete with other kids um just because their parents don't have time to get them the, the three practices a week i mean and like you said some kids are in two different sports you know, and and to keep up with the, the the Joes, you've got to. I mean, you're practicing five nights a week, and th- then you got to do schoolwork. Right. I mean, it's like I hit the USA Complex. You got teams coming from as far away as California to play to play ball. I'm gonna just tell one quick story. When I was teaching driver education at Western Heart High School. I remember this, this young man, a fifteen year old kid, finishes him up. This is his last day of driving. Went in the house and told his mama he'd done a good job and whatever. And she was sitting at the table like we are. She had her checkbook out, and she said, "You know, I'm getting ready to write a check." for my son to play on this tribal baseball team. It was $1,500. And then she tells me he'd been on the tribal team that summer, and they had gone through a $50,000 credit card. And I just said, wow. But that happens so much throughout the country. Yeah. That people, they, they put the money and their time and their kids because they've been promised, hey, you're going to get a scholarship. <laughs> we got to keep up with the Joneses, man. Right, I mean, like right. exactly. And some people's parents—I mean, some people's parents can afford that. No, everybody's situation is different. They may have won the lottery. They may have had family money, whatever it is. And I think parents have a hard time saying no to their kid. Right. I mean, that, like I said, that one example. We're talking about a family that went through a fifty thousand dollar credit card in one summer because on the weekends you you could be traveling out of state. Like I said, you might be on a plane flying to California to play in a tournament. Uh, it just happens all the time, and and it's to me it's a shame. Yeah, no, no is not always a bad word. Sometimes you have to learn. You have to learn disappointment. You, I mean, you went what 
oh and one and twenty eight that year, or you you even yeah. went oh and twenty eight one year. Yeah, that's you got to learn to point. What's your uh, what's your take on participation trophies? <laughs> uh, don't believe in them. Sure don't. But that's another good way that uh, you recruit people to play. You know, at the end of the year, everybody gets a trophy. I mean, uh, I I have a hundred of them upstairs, but. You know the ones that I look I, I look at and I'm like, that's the one that meant something. Is the one that I felt like I earned, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, not that the other ones are important. I learned lots of things in sports from teams that, you know, you know, I'm, I knew I was never going to play professional, probably not go to college and play, but the ones that are important are, and I I remember most are winning. <laughs> And I know that sounds bad, yeah. But um, it is what it is. That's right. And you no, know, like I said, it is what it is. You walk in my house right now, you will not see a single plaque on the wall. God has blessed me with a good memory. The memories I have are just unbelievable. At uh, the plaques that I've been fortunate enough to receive are packed away in boxes. And uh, I know a couple of coaches, you go in their house, it looks like a museum, which is fine. That's fine. Nothing against that. But uh, it is so many, you, like you're talking about participation trophies, you think about the number of people who got their plaques and their trophies stored away somewhere in the attic or in the basement. I mean, it's not hard for you. I mean, your plaques are also across, all across town. Every time you walk in somewhere, still, I still see the 87 team they're, they're, i'm sure you're probably in at least 20 restaurants still downtown i don't know i know the one one that captain stanley's seafood restaurant you walk there in the door they got a picture of the 87 team and uh it's just amazing the number of people i walk in there with how they look at that and but you know that's just something that uh, people in this area is uh, they never forget uh, is what the Garner football team did in 1987 so we, before we move on to what you're doing today i do want to ask you I want to remember, remember myself, remind myself to ask this question. What do you think would have happened? Would it have been any different if you'd have lost that championship game to Harding? Hmm. It's a tough question. I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, it's, you know, last we know it was a special year. Uh, but uh, I really believe as far as what's happening in Garner football, it would have still gone only been very successful. It was because God had a plan. Because, look, I'm going to tell it like it is. And I know Anthony and I talk about it a, a lot. We were very lucky in 87. But you go back to over what the Kansas City won the Super Bowl this past year. They were very lucky because they got an indivisible holding call on the receiver by oh, yeah. a defensive back from another team. You look at the replays, mm, wow. So, you know, but that's part of the game. Sometimes the calls go your way, sometimes they don't. The year after we won the state championship, we had a pass interference call that went against us against Millbrook. That when you look on the tape, it was the wrong call. But in 87, we had a pass interference call against Richmond County that went our way. So that's just the way it is. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. There's a lot of evolution in sports and rules and, you know, video footage and things of that nature. You know, now we can, if a guy gets flagged for pass interference, they're going to go back and look at it on both sides of the ball, right? Right. I think there's offensive pass interference. defense. I mean, and, and you know, there's – the flag rule with a coach, I like that rule. I think I think that is huge, um, given 
a coach a chance to challenge a play, I think, you know, has it slowed down the speed of play a little bit? Yes. yes. Um, but talking about speed of play and how sports have evolved now, we've got the pitch clock in baseball, right? I think that's helped personally. I and mean, this is the first year they've rolled it out. Um, but in football, you know, and this year in – you may or may not know this. You probably do, I assume. But they're, in college, they're going to stop They're going to stop the first down. Uh, when there's a first down, they stop the ball, dead ball. I think they're not doing that this year. They're going to keep the clock running. So that's a big change. That's a big, yeah, that's a big change. Uh, but I think the point of it is – my point here is as sports evolve – we got to do. We have to evolve the rules to be with the times. And what I mean by that is, not everybody has time to watch a five-hour, nine-inning baseball game. Sure. Not everybody, you know, if, if NC State plays UNC or a football game, we want to go to that game. But it should be. It shouldn't be a five-hour game. Thank you. And we we got other things going on in our lives. I mean, one to four. Okay, yeah. So let's take an average NFL football game. The games at one, you got to leave your house at 10, 30, 11, you know, and then the games from one to four, you leave the stadium, you're, they're gonna sit, you're gone from your house for nine hours that day, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that everybody wants to, and I'm being a little long-winded here, but I think you get where I'm going, that we need to, not everybody has, you know, a long time for a game on a Sunday or a, a night or whatever, so we need to, we need to speed up the play. Oh, I, I agree with that. I mean, like you talk about now, you go to a game, it's an eight-hour day if you go to the game. And me personally, and a lot of it's got to do with my age. Uh, I'm, I'm not getting any younger, but I've been spoiled by my 59-inch TV. I can sit there and watch a game. I can drink a Coca-Cola, eat a grilled cheese sandwich or popcorn or whatever. If you have to go to the restroom, you can do that. But – Guess what? I don't have to get in the car and make a 30-minute, uh, one-hour, or two-hour trip, like a two-hour trip to East Carolina to see a game. That's two hours back, a four-hour game. Well, now we're talking about eight or ten hours. And, uh, right. uh, but uh, hopefully the, the new rules they've made uh, will speed up the game And because uh, a lot of people have quit going because of the slowness of the games. So maybe, maybe it will pick back up with the new rules. Even on TV, I mean, even if you're watching the game at home, you know, I'm not a fan of national championship games being played on a Monday night. Um, you know, especially starting at nine o'clock, right? I don't, and I don't have the, I don't have the answer. I don't get paid to that. There's plenty of people who do strategy and, and understand TV money, and they're probably making the smart decision to do it on Monday night. But parents shouldn't be. I'm not going to say parents shouldn't, but. It's hard for a parent to let a child watch a national championship game. We want to boast up and everybody to watch the NCAA tournament, and then we want to start the game at nine fifteen on a Monday night. That's likely a school night, yeah, or the Super Bowl. Um, so you know, what's the answer? I don't know the answer to that. Maybe it started earlier. Why, why don't we play the, play the Super Bowl at like three o'clock? Mm-hmm. I mean, then kids can can watch it, right, or or whatever. So. All right, I'm going to go off my soapbox on that. Just one, one. I'm going to spell one word about what you're talking about. M-O-N-E-Y, money. Because the money that TV generates is astronomical. This year for the National Championship basketball game, I, f- I forget who played in it. I do remember the time start, 9.20 p.m. Oh, that's just, that's, and that was on a Monday night. 
And for the record, I was in bed and watched zero minutes of that game. You're a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tar Heels weren't playing in it, so, you know, you know how that goes. Uh, but they were last year, so, you know, wheel of time. Anyway, so before we um, end here, I, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about – we're going to talk a little bit about coaching, the early days. Uh, a couple of years ago, you were on a gambling boat in South Carolina. What happened? Yes. 2014, I went to my doctor, Dr. Pleasance, who was a trainer back when he was in high school. And uh, he detected I had, had a heart problem, and uh, so he sent me to a heart specialist. And uh, they examined me, and uh, they looked around, and so they, they did surgery on me. Surgery was done on June 6, 2014. Uh, I had what you call a piggy valve, and, and it's and supposed to last me until the year 2026. And uh, also they did some work on my aorta. So I went to the doctor, and I got about five weeks later, he cleared me. He said, well, you, you, you're good to go. So I have a trailer down at Myrtle Beach, uh, my wife Linda and I. And so I went down there on a Friday, and on Saturday, I said, you know, I think I'll go on the Big M Casino, which is located at Little River. Little River Boat, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that boat. Yeah, River Blackjack, River. right? Yeah, uh-huh. Right. That's what I was playing that day. So I go on the boat, and... Uh, I'm playing blackjack, and as you know, they got six decks in the chute. Right. So I take I go to the restroom. The next thing I remember, a young man by the name of Sean Freeman is asking me my name, my birth date, asking me questions. What in the world's going on? Well, I'd gone into the bathroom and I fell out, and I had no pulse or no heartbeat for three to five minutes. So I was a dead man. All right. Number one. If I stay at the trailer, I'm by myself. Right. Number two, when you go to the restroom, what do you usually do? You lock the door. Yep. I didn't lock the door. So a guy on the boat found me. He said, Is any, are any medical people on board? It's one guy, Sean Freeman from Charlotte, EMS guy. He came that day. In fact, he was the last one to get on the boat. Well, he and another guy. Michael Dawkins, who is now working at, <laughs> at Captain Stanley's as a host there, he gave me CPR. I had my, they had no defibrillator on the boat, so they had mouth to mouth, and then took another guy, Michael, was giving me compressions on my chest. They called for another boat to come get me, so they carried me to Grand Strand Hospital. And I found out then my, my wife's parents and me and Jimmy Suggs came to the emergency room at Grand Strand. I found out I had an aneurysm of the aorta, which I didn't I look. I'll just tell you about it. I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't know what it was. So he asked me out of clear blue. He said, who was your doctor back at, at, at Wake Med in Raleigh? And I told him. I won't mention the gentleman's name. And he told me. He just shook his head. He said, he's my best friend. So we graduated together from Bowman Gray Hospital. So he calls him on the phone. The gentleman was at Pine No Shores at his vacation home. He tells him what has happened to me. He says, well, I'm leaving right now. Put him on a helicopter and fly him back to Raleigh. So they put me on a helicopter there, lifted me back to Wake Med. The next morning, I had surgery. I stayed in the hospital for six weeks. I was in intensive care for two weeks. And 
God had a purpose for me. He said, look, I, I've already had enough. I spent five minutes in heaven. He said, i got to send him back down. And uh, it's something else for him to do uh, with other people on earth. And so here, here I speak. I'm very blessed that it was God's wish to have me back. And, and here I sit talking to you. So I'm, I'm, I'm a very, very lucky, blessed man. Saved by a Charlotte City Slicker. Slave by Charlotte. He ain't no something with Charlotte. <laughs> I never thought about that. A city slicker from Charlotte. Yeah. He's, maybe he didn't see the video. So he might have just left you there if he saw that video. Yeah, might have. Yep. Well, you know, I, I live in Charlotte, um, but I am from Southern Wake County. I'm from right here in Garner. Um, I've lived there for 25 years. Um, you know, Raleigh will always be home where I'm from. Um, maybe one day I'll come back here, but, um, yeah, I, I think you and I briefly talked that you had, you really had nothing against Charlotte at that time. It was more or less, it was, it was, look, I'm speaking to my audience. I need to motivate them. This is what I'm doing. You didn't, you didn't lie to them. You just, Hey, oh, they did. They did call us going to rednecks. They did think we were dogs, <laughs> but that's sport. That's sports. Yeah. But there's one part, uh, and this is true. They interviewed a young man from uh, from Charlotte, and he asked him. Uh, he was asked, uh, "Where is Garner?" He said, well, "I think he's in Burlington or somewhere up in yeah. that area." And then there's another quote in the paper about Anthony the Barber, and the quote was said, "We've seen a lot of running backs this year is better than Anthony the Barber." Yeah, but you guys are still good friends. Uh, he had health care, right? Yeah, he he had cancer. Yeah. And, uh, He's completely healthy now and working at Durham Jordan High School, just teaching and, and, uh, physical education and driver education. Great. Well, I'm glad that you all have been able to, uh, you know, you've had a lot of, you have a lot of friendships. And I'm glad you all were able to carry that on, that 8017 was special to you, special to him, special to the town. Um, so, you know, your relationship with Dave Odom. And before we end today, uh, last fact of the day, tell us, about your grandfather? Yes, uh, my grandfather, Alton Stewart, is the first licensed uh, aviator in North Carolina. In fact, I've got a T-shirt on underneath this shirt, which I showed you all ago. Yep, yep. And uh, the license was signed by Orville Wright in 19, I think it was 1907. But on December 25th, 1929, my dad-to-be was nine years old. And his Christmas present that day was going to be to go up in the airplane and ride around Harnett County because my daddy was born in coach uh, with his dad. And he was sitting on the airplane, and two gentlemen drove up. Their last name, well, one of them's name was Worth Stevenson. But they were kin to Stevenson Barbecue yep. down on Highway 50. Wow. He said, son, you get off the plane. He said, I'll carry you up on the next trip. Well, they went up, and they crashed, and all three of them were killed on December 25th, 1929. Mm. So that's, that's, just, that's just one of many uh, amazing stories I, I have, but that's that's probably that's number one. Ain't no He's doubt. got a shrine in Coates, right, or something? Didn't you say there's like a marker or something somewhere? Yeah, there's a mural there on, on the Domino's building in, in Coates, and it's also a state marker there uh, telling about my granddaddy being the first licensed pilot in North Carolina. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, he, that's why I said that you had more stories than Mother Goose, but they're they're, they're good stories. Um, you know, so um, I, I want to go ahead and wrap it up, but I do want to thank you for coming by today. Um, but, but before we wrap up, what's House Stewart doing today? What's um, these days, and what's he, where is he at ten years from now? Well, 
uh, I'm retired, but, uh, you know, exercising is like a job. If, if you get in the habit of doing it, then it's like you got to go to work. You work from 8 to 5. Well, every day when I'm in town, I go to the Garner Y and I exercise. And I'm big on riding the stationary bike and walking on the treadmill and doing a few uh, some weightlifting with the dumbbells. But I do that every day. And then you say, well, you might be thinking, well, what are you doing down at the beach? I'm a member of a, a gym down there called Mega, M-E-G-A, yeah. Mega Fitness Center. And so I find uh, I've got into the habit, a good habit of exercising every day. How long have you had that beach house in Myrtle Beach? Well, it's a trailer. We've had it uh, for 15 years now. Yeah. But Myrtle Beach Tribal Park. That, right. that place has changed. Oh, hadn't it? Intensely. Yeah. So. It's, it's like the rock around here. The building, you say, when, 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 when is this going to stop? But it, it's just it's not gonna stop. process. Yeah, it, it's not going to stop. Right. Um, that's one of the things I miss about living in Charlotte, and I tell my wife is uh, – they don't understand why it's, just, it's so nice to get to the beach here, especially with, you know, 40 going to Topsail beach and doing day trips. We can't do that in Charlotte. It's, right. it's four hours to, to a beach. Yeah. Um, but we, we enjoy the non-commercialized beaches, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure you don't, you still hit up that, you still go to that gambling boat river, little river or are you retired? No, I still go to it every now and then. Yeah. I do. In fact, I talked to one of my players this morning off the 8017, John Dykes, who made the tackle on the fourth and one play. Guess where he lives? Little River. He has a condo down there that he lives in, and he's going to try. We're having the reunion next week for the 8017 is going into Garner Hall of Fame. I can't. I, you know, you told me that, and I was like, how are they not in the Hall of Like, what do you have to – who else is in that Hall of Fame? Yeah. Who, who other than the 87 teams in the Garner Hall of Fame? Do you know? Well, there are a lot Ronnie, of, Ronnie probably. There are a lot of individuals there, and uh, you know, I've always have, had a, a saying: "It ain't how you begin, it's how you end." And uh, it's just uh, there are a lot of deserving teams that are in there now, and this is just the time for us. And we're going in with the '93 uh, uh, state championship cheerleaders. That's great. That yeah. was coached by Helen Stevens, and then the uh, 2000 four by 100 track relay team that was coached by Thurman Leach. So I would really look forward to that. In fact, there'll be a week from today when we we have that ceremony at Garner High School. Well, uh, you definitely deserve it. Those others deserve it as well. Um, You're a part of Garner history. Um, I think, uh, you know, I knew of your story a little bit before we started talking, but I'm glad that we got to talk about your relationship with Dave, your, your, your story in Eastern North Carolina, how you got to be here. I'm sure there's most people don't know your lifelong story about how you got to Garner. They're just like, Oh, it's how Stewart. Um, do you care if people come up there and, you know, if somebody sees you on the side of the road or, or, or at, at food line, you're still wearing your 87 championship hat today. I mean, yeah. you want them to shake your hand or you Oh, want I do. And I get a great feeling. I mean, uh, when people come up and, and hug me or shake my hand and it happens so many times, uh, I, I, I'm very blessed. And uh, it's like one day I was in the food line and a young man came up to me and hugged me and uh, 
He said, Coach, Coach, I, I didn't make it to Western. I used to have a saying about if you don't straighten up, you're going up on Western Boulevard with a free room and board. He said, Coach, I didn't make it to Western Boulevard. I got I work in two different restaurants, and I'm a cook in two different restaurants. He said, I just want to thank you for, for everything you did for me. And look, that's worth more than all the money in the world when someone comes up and says that to you. That's awesome. So those of you who are listening, if you see how Stuart, uh, especially at Captain Stanley's, buy him a piece of flounder. I will. It'll be on me, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you coming by here today. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to see if I can't get some other interviews out of this. Maybe I can talk to Eddie. And maybe, maybe we'll have a roundtable sometime down the road. Yeah, be and, good. And, uh, you know, I'd like to bring some of your other players in, and, and we can talk – talk too i mean this this is fun i had a good time i, I did i thoroughly enjoyed it steven and i like your idea we'll get eddie here nelson and some of the players just have a round table discussion and have a good time with it sounds good all right well everyone have a good afternoon and we'll talk to you next time thank you again for listening in today to the many stories of mr hal stewart i hope everyone was able to uh, capture a new story that they didn't know about hal hal is such a remarkable person and his dedication to the education of young men and women in the community is a story that will simply live forever. After the podcast, still curious about all the sustained success at Garner over those years, I had to ask, could I get a look at the playbook? How looked me right in the eye and very intensely said, I never had one. I think we can all agree that those of us who have spent time with Hal or have been coached by him over the years have walked away as a better human being. If you see how in the community, per his instructions, feel free to shake his hand. If you enjoyed listening to our show today and you would like to listen in on future podcasts, we would love your support. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Please search on Bard Time Podcast to find us. Until then, take care, my friends.